Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Welcome everyone to episode 137 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Teporek and today we're going to dissect all four of the conference fi- semifinals series. We are through two games in each so we'll talk about some early takeaways from those series and what to expect moving forward. Before we get underway I wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA pod. In our bio you can find our Twitter handle so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. We're being hosted now on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at AlmightyCast. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Well, it's going better than Ben Simmons, who has <laughs> twice as many turnovers as made field goals against Boston in this second-round series. Yep. Uh, I'm just gonna preface it. We're not gonna talk. We're not gonna lead with the Philly Boston series, but I'm just gonna preface this now. If you're listening to this podcast, and now an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow, that's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah. Where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. With kids, you can listen to our breakdown of Toronto-Cleveland, which we're going to do first. But when we get to the Philly series, I apologize in advance for how much I'm going to curse. It's going to sound like Deadpool 2. I just can't control it. I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) Oh... Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it. So let, let's get into the fun series so far, which is not very fun for Canadians. <laughs> right. The the fun if you are a Cleveland fan who was wondering how the hell it took your team seven games to beat the Pacers and then, oh, wait, your supporting cast woke up series. Yeah, Cavs mm-hmm. up 2-0 on the Raptors, stole both games on the road. I mean, more at least game one was close. Like, it was really, yeah. I mean, you know, they went to overtime. The Raptors had a million chances to win it at the end of regulation. Although, did you, I, that shot LeBron took at the end of regulation, I thought 100% was going in. Oh, so, yeah. So, oh, yeah. It was online. Yeah. It, it was so online. Yeah. It really looked like it was. But then, I mean, again, they kept it close in the first half of game two. And then in the second half, my God. I want to. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna write something about this more. But is this is this the best we've seen LeBron James? Like ever? Yeah. No, no. I I, I think Miami LeBron is a guy we are 
unfortunately beginning to to forget like he was just absolutely dominant yeah in, in so many other assets and facets of the game like I, I think part of this is him being somewhat stuck with a team that oh well for last night's game stepped up but usually do not mm-hmm. so we're seeing him just take on a larger role but i, I mean overall he's been better but that, i mean what he did last night was just that was him being absolutely dominant and and the best that he can be right now if that makes yeah. sense yeah, it was like a cat just playing with a mouse, like just batting a mouse oh, yeah. around before he went and mercy killed it. But oh yeah, it was like I he mean, was testing, right? And, and like I think it was ESPN stats and info that tweeted this that said he had second or seven fadeaways in that game, or I think in the second half alone, maybe. I'll I'll double check yeah. that one, but it was like the most in the past fifteen years of any yeah. team in the, or any player in the playoffs, which is just. I mean, it's preposterous. Like, the, the shots he was hitting, like, you, if you're Toronto, you think, like, cool, I, I would live with that. Like, all of these fadeaways, you know, that's the best you can hope for. But then, man, he just, yeah, yeah it was seven fadeaways in the second half that Windhorse tweeted it from ESPN Stats and Info. It was tied the most in a playoff game in the past 15 years. I mean, it was just, it's, it's like... Watching prime Kobe, except he's also a better rebounder, a passer, a defender, and everything else too. <laughs> it's like yeah, supersized Kobe. It's uh I mean, maybe he's. I I was listening to the Brian Windhorst and Bill or was on Bill Simmons podcast the other day, and they were discussing this as well. And like you, more Wendy said, you know the when LeBron in Miami for that, like I think that a twenty-seven game win streak at one point. He said, that's the best I've ever seen LeBron. But that that was before game two. So I'd like to hear if he had a revised take. I mean, it just feels to me like, you know, he's always been such a cerebral player. And he's always been, like, you know, makes the right play more often than not. And, you know, got criticized for it a lot because he would, like, pass up the ball at the end of games for a better shot from his teammate and his teammate would miss. And then Skip Bayless would say, oh, he's a choker. He doesn't have heart, blah, 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 Michael Jordan. Um, now, you know, the, the fact he has, the the fact he's developed his jump shot the way he has, and he was crediting Dwayne Casey for this after the game. He said, you know, Dwayne Casey was with the Mavs in 2011. And in those finals, they schemed for me to take these jump shots and I couldn't do it and we lost. And it like, made me reevaluate my game and go and develop that aspect of my game. So, like, <laughs> in some ways, Dwayne Casey is his the maker of his own demise, ironically enough. But, like, now it just feels like LeBron has more control over the game than I ever remember seeing. It's like, you know, throughout the playoffs, you want to be able to beat teams in multiple ways. Like, you want to have the versatility to right. beat them However, and LeBron can like just shape shift between those modes better than I ever remember seeing before. Well, that I agree with. I mean, I I, th- I don't necessarily think you have to be at your apex mm-hmm. to be a smarter basketball player. Like Michael Jordan, uh, again, if you go back to watching the second three peat, like he was in much better control of the outcome and the mm-hmm. game in totality mm-hmm. as in the second three peat, despite not being as athletic and and i mean as good 
as he yeah. was right before he he retired the first time. So uh, th- there's just this th- sense when you when you grow older, you just you understand it. You can think out the game. Tim mm-hmm. Duncan is very similar as well. To some point, you can even see it with Manu Ginobili, although not in a, in a dominant sense, but he right. thinks the game out a lot better now than he did like 10 years ago. Yeah, That just comes with age. I mean, uh, what LeBron is doing right now is, is absolutely amazing. What he's doing in terms of scoring the basketball when he needs to is what mm-hmm. I've been looking for him to do for so many years. Yeah, And it's not a critique of LeBron... To say, oh, now it's gotten here. No, it's it's like he he was so close to perfection. Mm-hmm. He, he was just missing that one aspect of taking over from a scoring position instead of always, you know, relying on, hey, I'm a playmaker first. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's why the problem was always criticized. It was because when you were down 10, then don't pass it around. Take it upon right. yourself. You're 6'9", 260. Yeah. I mean, and with great ball handling and slashing ability. Like, go get it. Right. Now he's doing it. And now things are becoming extremely interesting. Part of why I still think, you know, I, I don't think that now, but before we went into the series, like why I thought that Toronto would come out victorious mm-hmm. is because I, I still am kind of, you know, left behind in that train of thought that goes, oh, well, you know, down, down the stretch, LeBron might be inclined to not take over. Mm-hmm. And now he does, so... I'm not really certain about anything anymore. <laughs> and also, just imagine the narrative, by the way, because this is fun to me. If Toronto had won the first two games, mm-hmm. LeBron right now is shooting 18% from three and 36% from the free throw line over the oh, first two yeah. games. Nobody's talking about that for obvious reasons and for correct reasons because we shouldn't focus on that. Right. But had the Raptors been 2-0, like that would, that would oh, have been yeah. everything oh, yeah. people would have been talking about. Yeah. Because I hate oh. narratives. <laughs> narratives are dumb sometimes. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, first take and what all those stupid shows would be in, more insufferable oh. than they already are. I Michael mean, Jordan never <laughs> yeah, shot right. below. <laughs> right. Well, and Carl you know, Malone, like, shut up, Skip. <laughs> part of it, like, we saw him take over as a scorer throughout the Indiana series because none of his supporting cast was showing up consistently, and that. You know, both of us heading into this Raptors-Cavs series thought, okay, you know, we we said, like, this is what you can expect from LeBron. He's probably going to average close to a triple-double. He's going to have 30-plus points a night, which, you know, through the first two games, he's at 34.5 points, 13.5 assists, 9.5 rebounds. That's exactly what you expected. The surprise is that the rest of the supporting cast is starting to wake up. Like, in game two, Kevin Love has 31 points and 11 rebounds. Over the course of the series so far, J.R. Smith has 17.5 points a game. Jeff Green has 15 points a game. Kyle Korver has 12. George Hill and Tristan Thompson have 8.5 and 8, respectively. Like, Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance, they're still not giving much. But, like, now, all of a sudden, Cleveland at least feels a legit 7 deep. Whereas, in that Indiana series, it was like LeBron... Maybe you're going to get a good game out of one or two of his supporting casts, but you don't know who is just playing whack-a-mole with right. them. So, I mean, now more... The Cavs have to be the favorites in the East again, right? Well, I mean, assuming the supporting cast stays up on, on what they did in Game 2, yeah, absolutely. And, and to that point, I mean, that's... When we were talking about LeBron scoring a lot, we were talking about him scoring out of necessity. 
mm-hmm. what was so impressive last night against Toronto was he didn't even need to drop 43. Yeah. Like, he could have he could have stopped at 30, and they would still won the game handedly. Right. But this was him proving a point. Yeah. Like, Kevin Love, as you mentioned, 31 points. Jeff mm-hmm. Green, 14. George Hill, 13. J.R. Smith, 15. Like, there's a lot of help. Yeah. But LeBron was like, nope. I'm going to stay in for an unreasonable amount of time <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to take this home. I'm not going to leave anything to chance mm-hmm. and I'm going to drive this thing home. That's that's what I was alluding to before. Like even when he had players around who could contribute, we were going back to the Miami days of Wade and Bosh and Mike Miller or Ray Allen whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he would just lean on those guys. Here in this game, he could have leaned on Kevin Love. He could have leaned on every every one of these guys and he was just like, "Nope." Yep. I ain't taking no damn chance. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, part of it to me seemed like he was just, you know, he knows he's in the Raptors' heads, and he was like, I'm going to just drive a stake right through their heart. Like, if we close out this yep. game too, this series is over. I was wrong. I mean, honestly, I was wrong. Before the series, I said that I think, you know, the mental aspect of it is overrated. Yeah. And, and you know, to some extent, I still believe that when you look at the – overallness of the league because everyone is saying oh remember that one thing that person did seven years ago that stuck in that other guy's head where i'm like no you know give it a give it a rest but this series specifically this matchup lebron versus the raptors yep i i I gotta bow down to that yeah Yeah. you have absolutely right there's something there and you can't really put a finger on it you can't really logically explain it but they just collapse yeah completely collapsed when he shows his teeth you know i had a bad feeling like i I think both of us picked the raptors in this series yeah i had a bad feeling at the end of game one when you know jonas uh had that missed tip in with like a half second left in regulation and then Mm -hmm. the Cavs come down with the ball they call timeout and the way he fell to the floor it was like someone shot him like with a sniper rifle from the stands like he was in such agony because he knew what a chance they had to take that game and like get knock out some of those demons and then blowing that like you you knew once that game went to overtime the Cavs are going to win and then you knew if the Cavs hung close in the first half last night they were going to blow at the Raptors in the second half like enough doubt has begun to seep into the Raptors that now I just think they're in such a tailspin. You know, I don't know. Do you do you think there's any chance they come back in this series? No. No, they they were so beaten last night. I mean, by the by the end of the first quarter, they looked lifeless. Yeah. I mean, the way I look, I'm not going to be Bill Simmons here and talk about body language all the time because <laughs> right. I, I think that's a dumb thing. But for one, you know, I, I'm going to make an exception. Yeah. Their body language yeah. was dreadful, and everyone picked up on it. They were they were gone mentally, and and you could feel it. They had given up. That mm-hmm. extra gear was just not there. I want to say one thing about the Raptors. This has been a thing throughout the entire year that they start extremely hot in games. They start or not hot, but aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like they shoot with no conscience, which yep. is always a good thing. And then around halftime, maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after, they start to cool down. And it's basically in every game that they play. 
but it hasn't been a problem for them during the regular season because they were just stomping on teams. Like right. they were so far ahead that teams would just teams would themselves would just give up and go, okay, you know, you have us. <laughs> yeah, we can't do anything about it. So that so they didn't really have to go one hundred miles per hour for all forty eight minutes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? It's okay because they have the depth. It's okay. Like they can they can survive it and. Now it's in the playoffs, and apparently they can't. I mean, two games they lost against Washington, where Washington just found rhythm at a point in time where Toronto just couldn't be bothered. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem. They don't play 48 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, this is a lot of this was our concern with the Raptors going into the playoffs was would their old demons come back to haunt them, and would they revert to, you know, some of the bad tendencies that they've had in years past? And, at times against the Wizards, they did. At times, you know, they trusted in their bench, and that mm-hmm. got them past the Wizards. But when LeBron's playing like this, I mean, here's what I hate about, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the Raptors are done. I think maybe they steal one on the road, but it wouldn't even surprise me if it's just a sweep at this point. Yeah. But what I hate about this is this is going to go down as you know same old raptors they just choke in the playoffs blah 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 like this raptors team was better than the ones in years past they really did make oh yeah substantial changes to the way they did things and sometimes you just run into like one of the best players of all time and that sucks like talk to any team in the 90s like you know when if you if you ran into michael jordan you were just screwed and that's just you know it sucks like it it really it honestly sucks. I mean, the early 2010 Pacers can, you know, commiserate because they had the same problem with LeBron when he was in the Heat. Like, you have a really good team. You just don't have, you know, one of the best, if not the best ever, to play the game. It's right. I, I just well, and there's uh, a difference because here's only the Eastern Conference. I would say because mm-hmm. you know that, that's a problem because when you have LeBron, who's so clearly head and shoulders above everyone else in that conference mm-hmm. like he just has a stranglehold on on 15 teams yeah and because the western conference teams only meet him twice a year and they're that much deeper that much better on top like then when they come to the finals it's like they're not they're not afraid yeah there's no element of them that meets lebron with fear mm-hmm. whereas the entire eastern conference you can just sense it whenever a series is started it's all about uh-oh. <laughs> right. How, how do how do we it's that guy again? What do we right. do? Like right. he's in the head of 15 teams. Yeah. And I, I mean it's not, this the fact the Raptors drew the Cavs in the second round sucks too. Like this Cavs team should not have been a four seed. If the Raptors had gotten the Celtics or the Sixers, I think they probably would have won against either team, gotten against the Cavs in the conference finals and then who knows what happens, but I just think this was like a confluence of really crappy luck and then also you know just some really poor play at the worst possible time and just incredible play from LeBron James like Serge Ibaka going missing in action last night that sucks what like, was that I don't what know what was man. that like he just look, started off the game weird yeah. and out of sync and yeah. oh it was really like, he's bad. regressed he's really regressed yeah I, I mean, I think a lot of it is just, you know, OG is as good as they have against LeBron, but, like, tasking a rookie with that responsibility is not going to end well. Like, they don't have 
a LeBron stopper on that roster. Not that such a thing exists, because yeah, when LeBron, right when LeBron's playing at this level, no one has a LeBron stopper short of maybe the Warriors. But I think matchup wise, at least the Pacers could throw a bunch of different bodies at him. The Raptors don't really have that, and I just well, they have bodies. They just don't have bodies who can effectively change the outcome of a game <laughs> right on his yeah. part right yeah. yeah yeah so this is a long way of saying raptors fans i feel for you uh <laughs> this was the year yeah this this was the year because next year it's yeah, gonna man. be boston standing in ahead or yeah. philly i know well I mean, no i mean boston it's boston head and shoulders above everyone else oh no no week. i i mean i mean it could be both teams oh yeah. Raptors. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 like yeah i would still agree like boston is is head and shoulders the favorite from the yeah. East going into next season, but I'm just saying like ra- ra- the Raptors finished first in the East this year, mm-hmm. like they could legitimately look at third, maybe even fourth seed next year if LeBron stays. Well, hell, even if even if they somehow squeak out the first seed in the playoffs, they're showing it doesn't matter because no one goes yeah. into that into Air Canada Center and is like, oh no, what a terrifying home court advantage you have even though the raptors fans are great and really loud and like a really yeah, good crowd it i i think there's like just there is something psychological on both sides of like opposing teams come in and they've seen the raptors fall apart in the playoffs so many times they're just like all right your your crowd's great but we don't care like we it, ugh. it, it, re- it reminds me of uh jason kidd back in his prime when he was in uh, Phoenix, I think it was. And I believe it was when the Grizzlies were, were in, in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he would always go on a tear when he was in Vancouver. And then when they asked him, he was like, I just really like shooting at the baskets here. Like, they, they just align perfectly, and the light doesn't hit them the right <laughs> way. Like, he had some kind of preference to playing there. Sometimes these things just matter. Mm-hmm. Like, it could be a color... It could be the background setting. It could just be the way things are designed. Something that just makes a player comfortable mm-hmm. in a different way. And for LeBron, apparently, when it comes to Toronto, he just <laughs> he feels at home. I mean, he is uh, the owner of the Raptors, so yeah. why not? Le- Lebronto, as it is. Lebronto, yeah. Uh, all right, Mort, I've been putting it off. But let, let's go to the other Eastern Conference series. And uh, your prediction of a Sixers sweep turned out to be very, very wrong. In fact, it might be the yes, other team. Did. <laughs> the other team yeah. sweeping. Uh, so, yeah, Boston jumped out to a 2-0 lead. I mean, they just boat raced the Sixers in the first game. It was, I mean, the Sixers were pretty much down 8-12 to for most of that game until the end where they just got completely blown out. But, like, it never felt like the Sixers had a chance to go on a run. They just... Uh, well, the first 8-0 run by J.J. Yeah. Redick did. And then... Well, yeah, in game two... Like, they come out and play really well for 20 minutes. They look like the team that beat the crap out of the Heat. And then, again, just went back. They they went right back to the same shit they've been doing in Game 1. Like, my big takeaway from the first two games of this series, and it's why I'm so frustrated with this series, is talent-wise, based on, you know, the current healthy players in both teams. Like, if Boston had everyone, if Boston had Hayward and Irving and Jalen Brown not on one hamstring, like, Boston would obviously be much more talented right. and better than Philly. But this these current iterations, 
with everyone in Boston hurt and Fultz not playing. I still think Philly has the more talented team. But that said, oh, they, they're getting fast. Yeah, but they're getting so out executed. Like Philly just oh, lacks yeah. discipline, which is like it makes it frustrating. Like if the if the Celtics were just more talented and better and they were beating Philly, that'd be one thing. You say good game, you fold it up for the summer. The fact that like Philly is just making some dumbass mistakes. Like Joel Embiid fouling Marcus Smart on a three-pointer. Like a desperation yeah, heave three pointer with you know a second left on the shot clock, and then like foul trouble turned into you know a big story for him late in the game. He had five fouls with four minutes left, couldn't play nearly as aggressively. You know, got absolutely waxed on that last possession without Horford. Like, mm. uh, I'm averaging I'm, twenty turnovers as well. Oh, not no, sorry, I was looking at the fouls. Oh, it's like... it feels like, yeah, no, but it feels like honestly, I mean, looking at the games, it feels like they were averaging like a shit ton of turnovers. It, like the, their ball handling is not crisp, their passing is lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. Like Ben Simmons alone is averaging six turnovers a game, yeah, and it just seems like they didn't really step it up. Mm-hmm. It's it's I don't know. It feels a little bit like they're they're in the regular season, like they're approaching it like it's yeah. the regular season. Yeah, and I hate—I really hate to return to this because we've talked about this at length. But oh, if Ben Simmons could just shoot that corner three, I mean, that entire offense would just open up so much more. Not even a corner three. Just if he had any confidence in his jump shot whatsoever, and we'll we'll yeah. t- we'll go into Ben Simmons. We can just go in now, I guess. I mean, there is one possession in the third quarter where he. He got switched on to Aaron Baines, and he just dribbled the air out of the ball for 15 seconds, passed it like over the rim to Dario. Dario had two seconds left on the shot clock, didn't get a shot off. It was a violation. Like Ben Simmons needs to be able to pull up and hit a 12 footer over Aaron Baines. Like that's, you know, the the story of you know no one no one we didn't say on this podcast like no one smart has argued that Ben Simmons doesn't eventually need a jumper. You know, he did well enough this year without one, but to reach his full potential, like, obviously he needs one just like Giannis needs one, LeBron needed one. Like, we saw what LeBron could do last night with the jump shot, but we saw in 2011 what happens when he doesn't trust his jump shot. Like, you need to be able to hit jump shots if you're going to be a top-tier NBA player. This is not rocket science here. So, like, yeah, I mean, what are you seeing that Boston's doing to take Ben so out of the series. Like, in Game 2, he had one point. I mean, this is, hmm. I think Game 2 was the worst game I've ever seen for me. He had one point, seven assists, five rebounds, five turnovers. Game 1, he you know, he got going as a scorer a little more, but he still had more turnovers than assists, I believe. What do you think they're doing to get him Backing so... Off. Is that it? Like... The rotations are pretty great. I mean, yeah. Al Horford is just such a great communicator. He screams out, you know, patterns and stuff. And it, it seems to me that Boston is not really regarding Simmons as a scoring threat. Mm-hmm. Like, what they're really playing him for is the pass. Mm-hmm. And they're winning that. Like, they, they know where that ball is going. Mm-hmm. And if it's sort of like they're trying to let Ben Simmons beat them. Like, oh, kid, if you're going to beat us by scoring, go ahead. 
mm-hmm. because the only way you can score is getting buckets at the rim. Even if you get to the line, you're a 54% foul shooter. I mean, at least in this series. Right. That's that's just not... I don't, I don't think they look at him as a scoring threat at all. And if he's out there pounding the ball and not really making anything happen for himself, like they're just backing off and making sure the shooters aren't going to come loose. I mean... Sarge, Reddick, those guys, they've been playing decently in their own right. But, you know, how much of that is, when you look at the regular season, how much of that was part of Ben Simmons setting those guys up? Whereas if you take that away, they have to Mm self-create. And now you have to rely on more creativism of Reddick, of Sarge, of Covington, those guys they're not on-ball creators to the same extent. So they're messing with Philly's layers in that sense. And everything is just, by default now, going through and beat. Yeah. Because they can't really create it by themselves. So they're just like, oh, okay, damn, we're in the top spot. Hey, JJ. <laughs> or JoJo. Yeah. Ball. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and to his credit, Embiid is produced, but it hasn't been efficient. The mask is bothering him. Yep. And he... I don't want to say that he plays in a way that's not effective, but like you said, he doesn't play disciplined. Mm-hmm. Like the foul on Marcus Smart was dumb. Yep. But there are also a lot of jump shots where yep. you go, yep. Where the like? Why on earth would you take that? Like you're you're seven two, mm-hmm. and you're up against guys who are like six ten, whatever. Like go to the basket. Yeah, I think there are two thoughts on that. One. He he does what Nico used to do, like the pump fake every time, but now people oh, yeah. aren't biting on it. So, and That's like true. Boston, again, it, it comes down to discipline. Like Boston has the discipline to know he's not going to go for that shot more often than not. Or if he does, you live with it. Like you don't care. If, if you got Joel Embiid to take an off the dribble three, that's a good possession for your defense. Like you can oh, yeah. live with that. So, you know, it's a testament to... Aaron Baines and two Al Horford who know, all right, just don't leave my feet. Cause if, if I do, then he's going to drive by me, which he can do. So, I mean, that's part of it. And then also like he has taken, you're right more. He took some, like, I, I would, I'm going to go back today and rewatch the game just because I hate myself. Uh, there was one possession in particular where I remember like when they get the ball up the court there, I, I feel like it was very early in the shot clock still, like probably eight, 17, 18 seconds left on the shot clock. And he takes it off the dribble three. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like what you, yeah. I, you're right. Like it does feel like they're just treating it like the regular season in a sense. Like they're not valuing every possession. Like they got off to that huge, you know, 20 plus point lead. And then they start taking these like absolute dickhead shots. And it's like, guys, not only is that bad offense, but then you're creating these transition opportunities for Boston, and that fueled Boston's huge run, which got them back into the game, got the crowd back into the game. You know, like they should have put their necks on their throats in the second quarter, and instead they like just got lazy, and it it it, it just makes me it, it's really frustrating. Um, but more, I do want to ask you about Brett Brown as well because he's become at least on Sixers Twitter, um, there's been some criticism of him in this series, which is, I think it's fair. Like, as for as well as he did uh, against Spo in the first round series against the Heat, 
I think Brad Stevens is resoundingly out coaching him in this series so far. Um, game one, I mean, putting Redick on Tatum was yeah. so dumb. And then sticking with that after halftime was even dumber. So game two, he made the adjustment. He put Covington on Tatum. You know, as bad as Covington was, was in game one, he was amazing in game two, which is, you know, again, part of the reason why last night's game is such a backbreaker. Like, you get 22 points out of Robert Covington, you need to win that game. You get that oh, yeah. that type of output plus the defensive. I mean, he was just two steals, and two the blocks. Rebounding. Yeah. Right. Like, you he had a Scotty Pippen line, 22, <laughs> 9, 2, 2, and 2. Yeah. Um, so there there are two questions about Brett, because he at least made that adjustment. He put Covington on Tatum. He put Simmons on right. Roger more than he did. Like, he had... Simmons on smart a lot in game one, so he, Simmons could be like the free safety, but he didn't really, he wasn't all that effective in that role. So he at least put Simmons on Roger more in game two, which at least stifled Roger until the end of the game. Um, the two questions were one, you know, again, Philly gets out to that huge lead in the second quarter, then Boston goes on that run. Brett Brown doesn't call a timeout at any point to stifle that momentum. Do you agree with that? No. No, not against Boston. Even without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward, they're just they're they're a veteran team that has great coaching. They have every tool at their disposal. They have passing from virtually every position. They have shooting from virtually every position. So I I think when you let a team like that hit their rhythm, like how do you stop that? If you have all five guys on the floor who can shoot, who can drive, who can pass. Mm-hmm. That's just not a team that should be able to find their groove and get on a run because that could be extremely dangerous. Yep. And by extending that run, by not putting in a timeout, I mean, yeah, then you're just going to create more separation, and that's not a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, right. I mean, his, absolutely. His explanation after the game was, one, he had the people, the players that he would want in there to stop that momentum in there he had the veterans he like trusted in them and then also he's like you know it's a road game we think it's going to be close by the end we want to have timeouts we want to preserve our timeouts which to some extent i understand but yeah i mean like you have to you can't let that snowball like it's just no then you lose the game much earlier right because i mean like brett to his credit is great at drawing up these sidelines out of bounds and inbounds plays, and they often result in buckets. And, like, that's what you need. You just need something to get them out of their rhythm and, like, get your team to calm down and remind them, stop taking so many terrible shots. And, like, we need to value every possession, which they weren't doing. So that was one big talking point, at least for Sixers people after last night. The other was, obviously, Ben Simmons struggled to say the least um and tj mcconnell came in and played his balls off i mean he was probably you know covington and reddick outside of those two i'd say mcconnell might have been their third best player on the floor last night which is you know it's weird to say that about Embiid. like Embiid has he's averaging like 25 points 13 rebounds five assists in this series and i still don't think he's playing all that well which is like it's it's yeah, weird it's to say. Yeah. But so McConnell comes in and really, I mean, he adds that energy that they needed and he's playing really well. They get they get the lead back in the fourth quarter. 
And then Brown puts Simmons back in with about five and a half minutes left. He's asked about it after the game. He says, look, you know, these, we need to get Ben Simmons this type of experience in a close game scenario in the playoffs. Like he's going to be a franchise cornerstone, basically like that experience matters for him. What are your thoughts? Would you have put him back in or would you have stuck with McConnell? I mean, personally, I would have stuck with McConnell, but I got to admit, I hadn't heard that from Brad. I hadn't mm-hmm. heard, heard that logic, and that, that's actually pretty sound. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I get that they want to win, and I get that they're up against the somewhat depleted Boston team, mm-hmm. so there's added incentive to extending that series and getting out of it alive because then you have four more games at least in the third round. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... This is, admittedly, giving Ben a chance to, to learn some hard lessons on the job, which will have to come. Like, you can't just be the main, uh, the, the major success story. Mm-hmm. Like, there will be trials and tribulations that he has to come through. And obviously, that game was a, a nice example of that. So if, if that's the logic from Brett Brown, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and dispute that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a coach, I would have stuck with McConnell because I would have thought like very, very short term. I would have thought win yep. now. Mm-hmm. But this was a long term play, and and to his credit, I mean, Brett Brown has been thinking long term for the past many years now because <laughs> yep. he's been forced to. Yep. And I kind of get it. Like he's not invested in the moment, and I, I, I even want to say he's not a prisoner of the moment, which is mm-hmm. good for him. So if he's looking at this series as a learning experience and he's satisfied with a second round exit, that's fine. Honestly, that's fine. I Look, we talked about this before the playoffs regarding the Sixers. Like you mentioned this yourself. Mm-hmm. Every win is gravy. Yep. You said that. Yeah. Now you're pissed off if you're not <laughs> yeah. winning. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's but, true for both teams, for both the Sixers and the Celtics. Oh yeah. That that is very true. But I mean, if this turns Ben Simmons into a better player in the future mm-hmm. because he will have this series stuck on his mind for yeah. two years, yep. so be it. Yeah. That's an investment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Derek Bodner of The Athletic made the same argument you just did more about like, yeah, you know, if you stick with McConnell, you have a chance to then extend the series, go to the Eastern Conference Finals, perhaps. You're getting... More chances for experience, but then Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice, I thought he had a column today about like Brett Brown's decisions and these two in particular, and he basically you know went with, yeah, like this might this might get like seared into Ben Simmons' brain, like all of the you know the memes and you sent me one via DM, you prick, uh, with you know Ben Simmons as Wilt <laughs> Chamberlain holding up the hundred sign, but instead like the zeros are whited out and it's just the one, like. This is, you know, I think this type of failure is going to get just seared in his brain. And, like, it's going to be motivation for him in the summer. And the same goes for a guy like Markel Fultz being chained to the bench in the second ha- in the second round when, you know, your fellow rookie in Jason Tatum is having a huge role in knocking your team out of the playoffs and Dr. J coming out and saying Jason Tatum should have been the number one pick. Like, all of this is going to be motivation for those guys. Joel Embiid's going to be motivated to come back in better shape because he's clearly gassed at the end of these games, which, you know, is is partially a byproduct of him missing so much time as he recovered from that facial injury. If it leads to these guys becoming better basketball players, like, 
yeah, that's that's fine. Like you're right. It, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals right now would be great, but neither one of these teams is beating the Cavs in their current form. And even if the Cavs regress, there is no chance in hell either one of these teams is beating the Warriors. So it's this is not like a title or bust situation. Both teams are still very much on the up and up. Like they have, both right. have a lot to look forward to in the future. Like the best analogy that I could use for this year's Sixers is the 2009-10 Thunder, and they got knocked out in the first round, and then they came back, made it to the Western Conference Finals the next year, made it to the finals the year after that, and that's when the Harden trade happened, and you know things went downhill from there. But like they they have a lot to look forward to it ahead. So I think you know it, it you can make the argument either way that yeah he should have stuck with McConnell if he wanted to win the game because McConnell is clearly playing better. But yeah, if this is gonna make if this is gonna get Ben Simmons, you know, extra motivation to take like a hundred extra jump shots a day in the summer, cool. I'm good with it. So I knew I always liked Derek and Kyle. <laughs> so more before we move on, obviously Sixers and four is not gonna happen. Even my Sixers and six is looking pretty dicey. Do you have an updated uh, prediction? Well, no, not not. I mean, can you at least reverse jinx you piece of shit? You have been you jinxing no, them. I'm not going to reverse jinx anything. Oh look, look, here's the thing. I still think they're the better team. I think after the Philadelphia stance, they're going to be two and two, and then everything from there is up in the air. Yeah, that's is that good enough for you, Brian? No, I I they opened game three as a nine and a half point favorite for what it's worth. So. I mean, I thought they were going to win game two, and for 20 minutes in right, game two... Right, but it's good enough that they, I didn't jinx it. Like, yeah. if I just stick with that, I'm telling you that the Philly, that, that the Sixers are going to go on a two-game winning streak. That's how far I'm going right now. No. I Like, I, I'm i torn between Celtics in five and Celtics in seven right now. I think the Sixers are going to win game three. I think game four is going to decide how long this series goes. Because if they go back, if they lose game four, they're going to go back to Boston and get their clocks cleaned. But I, I just I don't think they have the discipline to win this series anymore, and it sucks. But I think they'll you know put up a good showing in Game Three. I hope. I mean, if they lose Game Three, they're getting swept. If they win Game Three, I, right now, like pessimistically, I'm saying Celtics in five. But I hope they prove me wrong. I you know they have the upside to do it, but we just haven't seen it for more than twenty minutes, and it's you know. We've, I, I, yeah, but all right. I will say this: I think this series has a much greater chance of Philly coming out as the winner than, for example, Toronto Cleveland. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Toronto is dead. Toronto They're dead. Like, yeah. but yeah, but no, no. But you look at it. Both teams are you know Toronto and Philly are down o two, but but at least in in you know the Boston Philly series. Like I at no point right now am I closing off the possibility of Philly winning this series. Like I don't mm-hmm. look at it that way at all. But Toronto Cleveland, oh hell yeah! Well, like that door jammed. Yeah, because Cleveland stole both on the road. At least Philly's going home. But even like we'll talk but about that doesn't even factor in. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is this this is about talent. This is about yeah. execution. This is about the feel of the game. Yep. I mean even I. I Right. Even like a Warriors Pelicans, where the Pelicans are down two zero and going home, I give Philly a much better chance in this scenario than the Pelicans. Right. Like, 
Yeah, I, I yeah, think that's I, fair. I, I don't think Philly is. De- I, mean, I I noticed when I woke up this morning that Sixers Twitter acted like oh, you know Philly had been killed. Yeah, but it's a dark place right now. It's a you're down 0-2. You're not eliminated. Right I know. The, off. The, the only there are two consolations before we move on to Houston, Utah. One, if Boston blows a 2-0 series lead, holy shit. But Celtics Twitter needs to log off for a month because you guys have been taking some real serious victory laps. And need I remind you, need I remind you, this is so petty that Tom Brady fumbled in the Super Bowl and he lost to Nick fucking Foles. So suck on that. Number two, oh god. (laughs) Number two is Boston six and zero at home in the playoffs. Zero and three on the road. I'm gonna guess. Aaron Baines isn't going to keep draining fucking corner threes like he hasn't done throughout the entire regular season on the road. Terry Rozier has... I told you, they've been working up to this. (laughs) Yeah. He is, he will be. Marcus Smart is not going to shoot, what is he, four of five from deep? No, he he started four of five. Now he finished four of ten. He was four of ten. Yeah, but he started. That we can talk about. Like, he's not going to continue that. Aaron Baines hitting a three every game is probably going to happen because, look... He's been taking a lot of long jumpers this year. He just mm-hmm. didn't step outside, and e- they look clean. Either way, their role players are not going to play as well on the road in theory. So that's those are the only two things giving me slight hope, but I'm still saying something. And the fact that Ben Simmons won't end up with one single damn point. You would hope in so. Game three. No, mm-hmm. no, no. All right, let's. I mean, if he does, then we have to talk about <laughs> Donovan Mitchell a little bit more. Well, let's talk about Donovan Mitchell right now. Let's go Let's. into the Houston-Utah series. Houston, I mean, beat the pants off of them in game one. It wasn't even that close. Yeah. Game two, Utah comes out, opens up a big lead. Houston wipes it away. And then Utah, unlike the Sixers, actually showed some mental resilience, opened up another big lead, and ended up winning that game. So they stole home court advantage. They're now tied 1-1 going back into Utah. I mean, more... I'm going to, do you want to just take your Donovan Mitchell victory lap right now? <laughs> I'm taking it every single day because no one believes. Um, I'll say this. If I had told you that <laughs> Utah would win a game against Houston with Donovan Mitchell shooting 28%, going 6 of 21 from the field, yeah, you would have laughed your ass off at me, and rightly so. Yep. This was a testament to a great team performance and the fact that you can win on defense. Mm-hmm. It might not be a championship, but you can win games off of defense mm-hmm. and contribution off of depth. Like Alec Burks, 17 points. Jay Crowder, 15 points. Dante Exum, 9 points. That was off the bench. Yep. Then you had Joe Ingles hitting 7-3, finishing <laughs> with 27. It's amazing. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you do need these guys. Yeah. And to to Donovan's credit, I mean, I was really impressed. He knew he didn't have a shot going, mm-hmm. and he turned into a playmaker. He yep. realized, oh, okay, I don't have it going. Others do, so let me rack up 11 assists. Career high, 11 like, assists. Career high, yeah. And here's the thing. It, it bo- always bothered me throughout the course of the season that people would call him a chucker. Yeah. Like, no, that's that's the role he was given. Right. It's not like he can't play make. Right. And people are like, oh, he can't pass the basketball. Are you dumb? Yeah. Like, did you see that <laughs> sling pass he made? Oh my in, god! Yeah, that was. I don't even. I've seen that. I've seen that pass about fifteen times, and I still don't comprehend how he moved. 
Like he drove in almost full speed and somehow whipped that ball like a rocket mm-hmm. out. Back yep. out to the three-point line. And he was near the rim. I, I, I cannot comprehend what I saw still. Yeah. And you don't make that pass if you're just, you know, a Jamal Crawford-type mentality player. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it really, you know, wisen up people. Like <laughs> he, he can do several things. But more. At some point, you'll realize he can play defense as well. If he doesn't, or if his three-point shooting regresses two percentage points, he'll be in the Euro oh, yeah. League in five years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. we should maybe we should explain that one. Yeah, that was. Yeah, no, I, we have in a past episode, but we should find that oh, guy yeah, on yeah. Twitter and give him yeah. a nice little roasting after that. that was, yeah, that was weird. I, I mean, you're right. It's you know the guys on inside the NBA catch a lot of shit as you know for obvious reasons because they they say a lot of stupid stuff, but. They've actually had some pretty poignant points, both about Sixers Celtics and Houston Utah. They, you know, Chuck was talking about it the other night. He's like, you know what Houston wants to do? Like they just want to outshoot you from three, and if you can keep that battle close, you're probably gonna, you know, have a good chance to win that game. And you look at game two. I mean, mm. Joe Ingles is probably not shooting seven of nine from three again, but Utah as a whole shot fifteen of thirty two. Houston was only 10 of 37. Like, it, I think there might be something, you know, I don't know that Utah is going to hit 15 threes again. I mean, putting up 116 points is not something yeah. I foresaw from them at all no. this series. But more, we got to talk about Dante Exum too because he mm-hmm. played some phenomenal defense against James Harden. I mean, you know, James Harden's going to get his. He had 32 points, 11 assists. But he was only 9 of 22 overall, 2 of 10 from 3. And I forget the exact matchup stats. I think he was only 1 of 8 against Exum when Exum was matched up against I, I him. I haven't looked, so I couldn't say. But yeah. I, I can say this. Exum is the perfect combination of size, mm-hmm. athleticism, and wingspan yeah. to really just make James miserable. Yeah. And the fact that Exum isn't required to be the primary offensive player on the other end allows him to exert more energy defensively mm-hmm. and the fact that he contributed nine points i see as a victory because given how much energy he had to exert defensively being able to contribute in that sense on the other end is noteworthy and extremely important for utah if they are hoping to have continued success yeah i mean uh... I forget where I saw the one of eight, but I'm going off of NBA.com's matchup stats. Well, I mean, I believe it. I, yeah. would, I wouldn't be surprised if that's very much true. I mean, well, look, but I, I don't remember his wingspan. Like, do you remember Exum's uh, pre-draft measurements? He's he long. Yeah, right? he's he's six six on the whole. Right. Or like height wise, I'll look it up. I, I want to say it was at least like six ten, but right now, yeah, but. And in the matchup stats, he, again, this is NBA.com, so you take it with a grain of salt. But 22 possessions, at Exum was guarding Harden in Game 2. Harden shot 0 of 7 overall, 0 of 4 from 3. Had one turnover, only one assist, too. And in those 22 possessions, only 12 team points. So I think you're right, Mort. I think you know the fact that Exum as you said, doesn't need to be the primary playmaker. You have a Donovan Mitchell, you have a Joe Ingles to handle that. Like you could put Exum in like kind of, 
in a weird way, you can make him your Roberson, basically. Like, you could just, yeah. you tell him the only thing you do, the only thing you focus on is defensively, you're going to guard James Harden. Offensively, make a couple cuts to the basket. And it that, looks like... That would be a start. It looks like I'm looking at the NBA.com uh, draft section, and he, he measured at the combine 6'6 six, six with a 6'9.5 six, wingspan. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's... Like I, I think that is going to be something that Quinn Snyder goes back to for the rest of the series. I think he really found something there. Mm. So, I, where I got to ask about Houston side now? I mean, if you're Houston, you know you. I think you can take some good end from bad, some bad from game two. I mean, game one was obviously great. Game two, the fact you came back from that huge deficit. Shows, you know, this isn't going to be a blowout series by any means. But how nervous are you feeling if you're Houston right now? I, d- I don't know if I'm feeling nervous. I'm just up on my toes at this point. Mm-hmm. I just know that I'm in for a series. Mm-hmm. I, I'm also kind of, I'm looking at that, at the series and I'm going, wow, Clint Capella had 21 and 11 against Rudy effing Gobert in <laughs> yeah. two. That's probably not going to duplicate duplicate itself, mm-hmm. meaning that type of offense would have to go elsewhere because you know Rudy is not going to play around in game three. Mm-hmm. Like, that stat line is not going to be acceptable, acceptable to him again. So you need to find out where do I get that additional offense? Like if Because if James... Is, is kind of forced into that role of playing low-efficiency ball mm-hmm. and, and be more of a volume guy, that's not necessarily a great thing. So you may have to put more on Chris Paul's plate, maybe get Eric Gordon into some better situations. He's, he he yeah. shot pretty damn badly in, in Game 2. I think he was 5 of 15, 5 of 16. 5 of 16, like and he, he was 0 of 6 in Game 1, too. He's been not even yeah, low-key awful. Bad. He's just been awful. Yeah, he's been awful. Jell Green only had three points on three shots in nine minutes in game two, so he needs to get going. I mean, these guys who are used to getting a somewhat high amount of points mm-hmm. are suddenly very low on that chart. And, yeah, the, I mean, we're going back to, to the, the whole supporting cast is essential talk. But for Houston specifically, like, we've spent all season long talking about death. And yeah. we've talked about it, in, in especially in regards to Toronto, but Houston was the big one. Mm-hmm. Like Eric Gordon, Gerald Green, Ryan Anderson, who's now coming off the bench. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Luke Mbamute. Yep. You have so many weapons in one way or another coming off that bench. And they have to function as a cohesive unit. Mm-hmm. And they haven't. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking at as the big change. I still feel you can win a couple games just off talent alone. Mm-hmm. And Utah, as you alluded to, it's probably not going to have a true shooting percentage again <laughs> of 62. Right. Most likely. Against you, most likely. So you live with a hot game, mm-hmm. and then you'll have to focus in game three on, okay, now let's find our game. And I also yeah. disagree with Chuck, obviously, about Houston only wants to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. That That's not the case. I mean, look, I get the whole Mori Ball concept, but when they brought Chris Paul in, yeah. Like, let's not pretend that Daryl Morey did not know that Chris Paul likes to pull up from the mid-range area. Right. And, you know, that was a calculated move. He knew that he was looking at Golden State 
realizing, well, those guys, they don't turn down open shots, regardless of it's a mid-range or if it's a three or it's a you know shot near the rim. Mm-hmm. We've got to be more like that. We, we, do, we can't have the, the pre- predictability of being you know threes or layup. No, we need to have something in between. We need to be more versatile. And Chris Paul, in part, was brought in to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Houston play a more conventional way for the rest of the series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chuck didn't say, like, they only want to shoot threes. But he was saying, like, if you you hang with them in the three-point battle, you're going to have a good chance. Oh, fair. Yeah. Okay. I'm just expecting Chuck to say jump shooting. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he, you know, he's done the thing with the Warriors, like, oh, you can't win a title as a jump shooting team. So it's fair to think he, his points are dumb about jump shooting teams. But I mean, he is right. Like the Warriors or the Rockets led the regular season in three point makes, three point attempts, three point rate. I mean, fifty percent of their shots were from three point range during the regular season. So like that is a steady diet of their offense. They haven't had as much success with that against Utah in the playoffs. I mean, they only had 32 of their 82 attempts in game one were threes. They hit 17 of those, which is what turned that game into a blowout. But the 37 of their 95 in game two were threes. They only hit 10 of those. Harden was two of 10 from deep. I mean, the thing that I think what separated game one from game two is, you know, A, Harden was a little bit more efficient in game one. Um, But... You need more from, as you said, you need more from guys who are not named Harden, Capella, and Paul. Like, Capella game one had 16 points and 12 rebounds. Paul had 17 points, 6 assists, 4 rebounds, 4 steals. P.J. Tucker, 15 points on 6 of 8 shooting. Trevor Ariza, 8 points on 3 of 6 shooting. They combined for 5 threes. In game two, you know, they were 4 of 14, only had 2 threes, only had 10 points in total. Eric Gordon had 15 points, but on 16 shots. It was a true testament to Russell Westbrook there. So I think you're right, Mort. If you're Houston, I mean, Mike D'Antoni didn't look panicked on the bench. He just looked like really frustrated uh, because I think he knows the Rockets can play better. And I think you're right. They they now know they're in for a series. It's not just going to be them raining threes all over, you know, Rudy Gobert for the entire series and, like, not testing him in the paint. Like, you're going to have to... Those shots aren't always going to drop. Uh, maybe covering Joe Ingles maybe might be a good strategy. I'm not sure because they didn't do that at all in that, game that two. That could be a thing. Yeah. But like, he's, like... He, he's routinely underrated, though. I know. It just the amount of wide-open three-point shots he had was yeah. astounding. Like, you have so many versatile wings. Like, you have Ariza, Tucker... Mute, how the hell is there one primary three point shoot getting open? Or I guess Mitchell's one of the two. But like No, but cover those guys. It's just dumb. Yeah. And Joe Inkles, to his credit, like I'm I'm getting a little bit sick of the whole idea that he's oh, he's a typical Kyle Corver, you know, white shooter. Oh no, like, he's, he's so def- much better. He's a def- he's a defender. Yeah. He's a playmaker. Yeah. Like he's even decent on the boards. I mean, I, I, he's he's one of those guys who have very few weaknesses in mm-hmm. his game. He's just not a guy with a with a sky high ceiling, but in his role, if that's maximized, he's extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. So Utah will have to ride him as well, not just Mitchell, but getting Joe Ingles more involved offensively would be a good bet. 
Uh, so updated prediction on this series, Mort? Uh, still Houston. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going away from that, but in six, I guess. I don't remember what I said initially. There's so many series. I'm not going to remember with this. I, th- I think I had Houston in five. That could easily be true. Yeah, I mean... But six I, games could easily be true as well. I know. It's always hard. Like, I always am hesitant to choose, you know, when a team has home court, choose them in six because it's just like, do I think they're going to close that team out on their home floor? But, uh, yeah, I guess I would go Houston in six now. I don't feel good about it. I Like you, I'd still pick Houston in the series because, as you said, I don't think Utah has a true shooting percentage of 62 again. But, yeah, yeah, uh, I guess I would change to Houston in six now because it does feel like there will be one more game where they just get ridiculously hot from three again. Can, can we at least, like, one thing we can predict is, will Donovan Mitchell do something as ridiculous as that tip dunk? Off oh, my God. Again? Oh, Just... my God. I liked, his explanation was like, well, I was just up there, so I might as well dunk it home. Yeah. <laughs> like, he yeah. said, I figured I might as well go get it. Like, <laughs> Did you see press row? Yeah. Oh, the it's so press good. Row? That was yeah. amazing. Yeah. But, I mean, look, he's just so explosive. So, we, what we can predict is Donovan Mitchell is going to do something crazy. Yeah, at some uh, point again, I can also predict there are going to be some like infuriatingly bad hot takes about rookie of the year now that Ben Simmons had his one point game. Even though, by the way, guys, that shit was decided three weeks ago. All the votes are cast. None of this matters for rookie of the year. Moving on. Well, instead of moving on, then we could have the debate. Not that we should have it now, but at a later point, is that fair? Why should why should votes be gathered like to avoid the postseason? Well, because they used to announce the awards during the postseason. They just did this. I know. Yeah. No, I know. But, but a, now that they've changed it up, yeah. then it would make sense to actually change the whole format. And instead of just making it a regular season award, like making all awards season-long awards. Yeah. We can revisit that once we actually hit. Well, yeah. Let's, let's revisit that conversation when we get to the awards. Definitely. Um, let's do that. Because, because, you know, I announced. hate awards as it is, so I want to at least make them a little bit more streamlined. Right. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's finish things up now more than with Warriors Pelicans. I mean, surprise, surprise. The Warriors are up 2-0. Steph Curry came back game two. Came off the bench. Looked just like Steph Curry. He had 28 points. Shot, I think, 5 of 10 from three-point range. Yeah. I mean. Something ridiculous. It, it, I, I don't know how much there is to talk about. In terms of, like, do you think the Pelicans have any chance of coming back here? Nope. <laughs> there we go. But, I mean, you mentioned this before we started that, you know, Mark Stein was on the Give Me Sport podcast with Mark Deeks the other day. And they were talking about, you know, this is where you really feel DeMarcus Cousins' impact or, like, him missing. Mm-hmm. You, you feel the impact of him being sidelined because, you know, yeah, the Warriors would still outshoot you ultimately, and you probably, if you're the Pelicans, you can't play with the same pace that you have been. It's been interesting. Like they have, they the Pelicans really just were like, well, we can't defend you, so we're just gonna run and try to run up the score just with you. And with Brown and Boogie, you're probably not running as much. Um, no, but 
you know, you you but would still pounding them inside. Right. You would have that major size advantage over them with all due respect to Zaza and JaVale McGee and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you like think reap out? Yeah. Do you think he would have made how much of a difference do you think he would have made in the series? I guess. Well, we don't know yet whether New Orleans uh, is going to get swept or not. I mm-hmm. think, I think there's potential for them to make it a five game series. Yeah. I agree. Probably not more than that. Yep. Whereas I think Boogie could make it a six-game series. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, <laughs> that I, sounds so dumb, but it's like in this climate, it's like a huge thing. If you well, can yeah. get an additional win on the Warriors, that's like a major thing. Especially because yeah. you know, in Anthony Davis' first playoff experience a couple of years ago, he did get swept by the Warriors. So. Yeah, beating them in this environment, you know, it, it would be a good learning experience for all of those guys. And extending them to six games would be even better learning experience. I mean, a lot of our fears with the Pelicans have just held true. Like we, we said, you know, Brow's going to get his. Drew Holiday's going to get his. Miritich is probably going to get his. Rondo in game two, my God, 22 points, 12 assists, 7 rebounds, 3 of 4 from 3-point range. You can't ask for any more than Rajon Rondo. He had five steals, too. I mean, yes, he had seven turnovers, but, like, that's incredible. The rest of the team, I mean, Etuan Moore had 14 points. They got nothing from the bench. They got 13 points from the bench. So it's like, yeah, I mean, they're just, they don't have the depth to compete with this Warriors team when they're cooking the way they were. And, like, Andre Iguodala, man, He's, you know, he looked washed for most of the regular season, but I think he's one of those guys now at this stage in his career where he's just like, I'm just going to save all my gas for the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Going to like deplete my tank a quarter during the regular season and then, you know, turn it on when I need to. Um, I think he's been that guy for a couple of years now. I just don't think anyone's picked up on it <laughs> before now. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. I, I don't think it was. Uh, the the split wasn't as drastic, I would say. Like, he was at least no, a little right. better during the regular season in years past. But this year, he was just like, nope, YOLO. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I really need to save all of my energy for the playoffs this year because, you know, we, um, we're probably going on another deep run. I mean, I think the, the dispiriting part, if you're the Pelicans, aside from just obviously Steph coming back and he's going to be back in the starting lineup in game three, Clay Thompson shot four of twenty in game two. He still lost. Like, much like the Sixers needed to win when Robert Covington shot that well in game two. If you're the Pelicans, if one of their big four is gonna shoot that poorly, I know, I mean, KD, Draymond, and Steph all had their typically great games. But, you know, if one of your big four shoots that poorly, that's you have an opportunity to steal. Like I, I just don't know how much better the Pelicans can play, and it's with I say that with all due respect to them, but like I just don't know what. Well, more... I think they can play a lot better. Look at Drew's numbers right now. He's he's shooting thirty nine and a half percent from the field, twenty three percent from from three. So there is a layer to his game that we haven't seen this series that he showed us against Portland, though. Mm-hmm. So I still think there's a level they can get to. I think I mean it, most of that most of the bad number came from game one, right? Because like in game two he was 
11 of 24 from the field, 24 points, 8 mm. rebounds, 8 assists. Oh, yeah, he was better. Yeah, did, right. didn't shoot well. I mean, they they all just kind of had a clunker in game one, which I think... But at no... Right. Right. That that might have just been, like, them being fatigued from... Well, I guess not. Like, they weren't fatigued because they were rested from the sweep, so it might have just been, like, the same thing that happened... Rust. Yeah, with the Sixers in game one. But... Yeah, I mean... Him not being able to just at one point really show us the way that he was against Dame, yeah, is is a little bit yeah nerve wracking because, like I said before going into this series, like Dame and, and Steph play very similarly, right? And I was kind of thinking you know that he could feed off of that, and that didn't really happen. I don't know if it's just because Steph is. I mean, we all know Steph is better. And and the range is that much that's that much more you know that much greater that it just changes the entire defensive scheme for for Drew Holiday going into it. I don't know, but I'm just it seems weird to me that he's taking slightly more of a passive role than he did in Portland, where he sort of took the whole thing on himself. I know mm-hmm. that Brow averaged like 34 or 33, but it seems like it was the Drew show more, more. I mean, more or less, like he was handling the ball, he was making the passes, he was the de facto go-to guy in a sense mm-hmm. and brow was just a guy who's was just kind of the, the target of these passes which is good like there's always room for that player i mean just look at what kind of career amari stunemeyer carved out for himself in phoenix yeah uh, but but drew ran the show in that series and now you kind of look at it and go well who's who, who are you looking for like who's the guy who's going to run the show like so far it's been rondo and I don't think necessarily that's a good thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. I mean, play playoff Rondo or not, I mean, he's been great, but. Yeah. It's. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, they're just outgunned in this series is what it boils down to, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, so we're, we're clearly sticking with the Warriors. I think, did we each have them in five before the series started, I think? Sounds about right. Again, I'm so bad at remembering these things. Yeah. Me too, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and if I didn't have them in five, I'll give I'll give the Pelicans a game. Sure, why not? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When they get home on their home court, I I could definitely see them do something. Yeah, just but... Brow putting up like forty seven and twenty six <laughs> or something. Right, but yeah, this this still feels like a gentleman's sweep to me. What about you? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. now, I mean, let assume the Rockets do get past the Jazz. There was a lot of talk this year, and we perpetuated some of it, of the Rockets, you know. The, I think they do match up better with the Warriors than any other team. The Warriors are now commanding fi- favorites to win the finals, yes? Well. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, I, st- I still don't have a-, a firm grasp of that series yet. So I, I would feel out of place... You know, picking one of those guys, yeah. or one of those teams right now. Uh, I need. To, I I just know that I'll enjoy whatever that series becomes. Mm-hmm. But I just don't. I just don't know where where we going with it. That's yet. that's fair. That's fair. I I mean I think just based on what we've seen, it feels like we're we're headed for a collision course with Cavs Warriors round four and. We know how that's going to end. I don't want that, Brian. I don't either. I don't, wa- but, I don't want that. But, like, I mean, I I would love to be wrong, but 
it just it feels it feels like that's what's going to happen and you know it's a testament to both teams for just being i mean the, <laughs> the Cavs were not a layer above the rest of the east at least during the regular season but playoff lebron is playoff lebron and then you know the warriors with Steph back I I think what will be interesting to monitor for the rest of this series yeah he looked great when he came back in game two how he continues to respond coming back from that knee injury because if he if he is at all hobbled as he was in 2016 that gives the Rockets a chance and that gives the Cavs a chance um but if it's a fully healthy Steph congrats Warriors you you did it again well but easy now because I mean, every series has an identity all of its own. I mean, look, theoretically, when you look at LeBron and and the first round against Indiana, like that was a hard-fought seven-game series that theoretically could have gone to the Pacers. Like the Pacers outscored the Cavs by 40 points in the series. They could have had it. And now against... The, the best team in the East, at least for the regular season, they're just drinking their milkshake, <laughs> right. stealing their wife, you know, adopting right. their kids. They're doing everything. They're they're owning them. So every series is different, partly because of matchups, partly because of some external factors. And, you know, Utah is just kind of weird because they're so great defensively. And they have this... the With Donovan Mitchell, there's also some level of unexpected production out of him if you Mm -hmm. understand what i mean i mean because he's a rookie he's not a a quote-unquote known commodity at the same in the same caliber of steph and katie and those guys Mm -hmm. so you don't really quite know what he's going to do in a playoff series because he's not been in the playoffs before yep now you you come to like steph Harden, chris paul kd those guys and Everyone knows she said like KD and Harden specifically is going to be so much fun because they know each other to that extent that they do. Mm-hmm. But you don't know how those, you know, the, those matchups play out. That's fair. And I mean, I could I could see Houston taking that series. I could as well as I could see Golden State do it. I I, I just think every series is an identity all of its own, and we can't use what has happened as an indicator of what's about to come. Much like. Like, we're talking about LeBron going to the finals again. Hell, in, in the Eastern Conference Finals, whoever's there, be that Philly or Boston. I mean, Boston right now is surprising the hell out of me. Yeah. And who knows if they just kind of catch the Cavs on a on a bad foot. I mean, that's fair. Don't know. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I mean, because coming out of the first round, everyone was saying Philly's going to the finals. They look like the best team in the East. And now they're getting their shit pushed in and... Now it's like, yeah, the Cavs looked like the worst team in the East in the first round, to the worst team to advance at least. And then you're right. So maybe maybe the Rockets will I mean, I, I do think personnel wise they match up better with the Warriors than they do against the Jazz. So, you know, maybe the they've they've been working their entire season up to this moment. Like up to the Western Conference Finals, up to beating the Warriors. So, you know, mi- the, I guess there's still a chance, but at this point, it just it's starting to feel like another Warriors. You know, there's a there's still plenty of places or chances or like worlds of possibility where they lose. But if I had to be like 
if I was assigning odds to who's going to walk out with the title, I'd say the Warriors are up to like at least 40 or 50% now of any team. And no other team is at more than like 20, 25. I'll take that. I get where you're coming from with it. I do. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Regardless, regardless of this whole thing, I'm still going to look at the Western Conference Finals as the NBA Finals <laughs> yes. because Correct. the jump is so much bigger. I mean, yeah. you look at that Toronto-Cleveland series and then you look at, at Houston-Utah, you can just sense that the talent level, even with Utah, who's not a strong offensive team, mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, look, they would be a powerhouse in the East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's not fun. It's almost not fun. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm really hoping, as a side note, we should talk about this in the summer. I'm hoping this summer that we see some talent go East from the West. Hmm. That, that not another Jimmy Jimmy Butler Paul George right. season moving I, from east to west. I guess the problem is outside of Paul George going to Philly or like Boston or Philly trading for Kawhi, who is there? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And you know what's even worse? Like imagine if Memphis and Phoenix they get the first two picks. Oh, yeah. That's the two best players off the board <laughs> yeah. going west. Yeah. So, man, this, I mean, I know the league has talked about a way to to make it more even, but mm-hmm. this is where the draft has the potential really messing up mm-hmm. that move. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a different talk for a different day. Either way, Brian, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of the playoffs, especially yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing Ben Simmons not having another <laughs> one-pointer. Uh, One can only and, hope. And he, yeah, I mean, I don't think that will happen, but if it does, we need to have a conversation about that jump shot. I know we've talked about it yeah. before, but like then he has to just use the rest of this playoff series to just experiment with the damn jump <laughs> shot. I mean, then I don't care if he comes out in a... In a game four and take seven threes. Doesn't matter. Just, as, just go for it. As the official agent of chaos on this podcast, all I want from the rest of the playoffs, because I've lost all hope in the Sixers, I want Utah to beat U- uh, Houston in game three so we can get some really scorching hot takes about Chris Paul and his legacy and how he's a choker. Can't ever make it out of the conference semifinals. <laughs> Oh yeah, let's live up on on all those old things. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And and I'm also fully expecting you and your Philly crew to go after you know Celtics fans if Fools comes back for one game and scores twenty and <laughs> he's not oh, coming back. Shit show. He's not coming no, back. I don't think so either. No. Ugh. Next year, Markel. Let's Next hope. Year. Well, on that note, let's wrap things up there, Mort. And thank you to everyone for listening in today. Reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio. So please give us a follow as well. That's out if you're a Boston fan. Talk shit to me and you're getting blocked immediately. Uh, you can also find us on iTunes. So please subscribe, so download. So much drama. <laughs> Leave some five star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so please check them out on Twitter at AlmightyCasts. Until next time, I'm Brian Taporic, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian, and good idea. Talking shit to Boston fans and then asking for five-star reviews. That's going to (laughs) happen. Fair, fair. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store at ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our 5-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details.